what is true. I say this all the time, but especially lately, our worship has kind of gone to a different level. And part of that has been because we've had to adapt to this crazy situation we're in right now with the whole pandemic thing. We've had to become more intentional about what we're doing. And more than any time in my life, I, the songs from Sunday morning go with me the rest of the day. And I just really am blessed by that. So we're going to talk about truth today. What is truth? What can we know? What can we know for sure? I think they need some extra chairs outside. If somebody could help them out with that, that would be super. A couple strong guys could, don't make Linda do it. She just got knee surgery. So uh, we've got some folks outside. We'll make sure they've got chairs. We're going to talk about truth today. And truth, I don't know about you, but during the last year, I've never seen anything more slippery than truth. I have people talking to me saying radically opposite things about exactly what's going on right now. Opposite. I'm not talking about little different. I'm just opposite. And sharing it with such passion that if they were to take a lie detector test, they would pass. And they're saying the opposite things. And so there's, we're living in a time where truth is really, really slippery. And it's hard for us to know what exactly is truth. And so we're going to talk about that today. And I got a fancy graduate school word for you up there on the screen. It's called epistemology. And epistemology is the philosophical study of what we can know and what we can't know. There's things we can hope for. There's things we have faith for. The Bible says there's faith, hope, and love. And there's things we can just know. And how do we know the difference between things that we know and things that we hope for? And how can we balance that out? And how do we react to people who say opposite things to us? Folks, there's news channels right now that are saying opposite things about what's going on and sharing it with such passion. We need to be able to discern what the truth is. Who thinks that's a good idea for the season for 2021? To look at truth, to find out what is truth. So epistemology is the study, and you can look that up on Google or wherever. Epistemology is the study of what can we know. And it's a fancy Greek word, which means what can you stand upon? It's like those of our friends in North Dakota, which I talked about earlier up in Bismarck. There's parts of this continent where water is mostly a solid, where it's just, you know, it doesn't flow that much. And when I was living in Minnesota, we would try to go down to the lake, and there's always snow on top of the ice. And we would shovel off places where we could try to invite girls to go ice skating with us because they, you know, it's kind of romantic and the whole thing. And when the lake first froze, it was always how far out on the lake can we go before we hear the creeks, you know, the, that kind of thing. And there's always open spots early in the winter and late in the winter where there's water. And people on their snowmobiles try to jump those spots, which I think is how nature puts chlorine in the gene pool. But still, it's uh, crazy stuff. But can you stand on it? Can you, is it something you can stand on? Is the ice thick enough? If the ice is thick enough, then you can know something that you're pretty solid about. They even put little huts out there on the lakes and go ice fishing, which is the boringest thing you could possibly, even if you love fishing, looking down a little hole, hoping a fish will bite on your hook. I just, I just can't imagine it. So we're going to look at truth today, and truth is number six of seven. 
of the broken signposts. We've looked at justice, love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and power. And science doesn't really tell us much about all these things. Science gives us facts. A phrase from the last year is, follow the science. Okay, well, that's kind of dumb because science is good. There's nothing wrong with science. You measure how much light there is, how much gravity there is, what kind of uh, uh, things you need to hold up the roof here. Uh, Daryl back there, you know, how many BTUs do you need in this air conditioning system to air condition this room? That's science. But science doesn't give us any ought-tos or shoulds or any ethics or love or beauty or any of these seven things. And so if you stick to just science, you're going to have a very poor life, and it probably won't be all that much worth living. And so we have to look at these things that are non-scientific, and we have to look at these things that are more wisdom-oriented, which is what the Bible is full of, so that we can look at what... How do we maximize these things in your life? Who wants more justice, truth, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and the proper use of power in our lives? We all want that stuff. So that's the stuff we want to look at. So we're going to be repairing broken signposts. These are signposts which have felt broken in the last year. We're dealing with truth today. This is a, a fascinating painting. This is Pontius Pilate presenting Jesus to the crowd. And he spoke Latin, and he said, Ecce homo. Here is the man. Behold the man. There he is. And Pilate and Jesus have this fascinating conversation. And it's about truth. There's Pilate's kind of truth and Jesus' kind of truth. So let's look at that here in John 18, 37 through 38. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to that. If you've got your tablets, whatever. We read this in our Bible study this morning, and we had a really good time. We have a Bible study prayer meeting at 9.15, and we would love to have you join us for that. Pilate therefore said to him, verse 37, said to Jesus, Are you a, are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, in the Gospel of John, the word truth shows up all the time. And I didn't realize that until I actually did a study for this. I could literally talk on the Gospel of John and truth this morning for about three and a half hours and never repeat myself. It's just full of stuff. So I had to pick one little piece to look at and to look at it rather intently. I think this is sort of the pivot point of truth. And here it comes, verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he'd said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault with him at all. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And that's what we're going to ask today. And back, you might say, well, nowadays nobody knows what truth is. It was the same way in the Roman Empire. It was a multicultural hodgepodge of all kinds of languages, all kinds of ideas, and people killing each other for that. And the Romans, who ran the whole place, were sort of skeptics about truth. They were just kind of big into power and concrete and construction and all that kind of stuff and bridges and roads. And they were all pragmatists about this and just said, you know, whatever, we're in charge. We've got more weapons and more people and more force and more power, so we're in charge. And truth comes out of the equivalent of a barrel of a gun. They didn't have guns back then, but that's kind of what they're saying. They're saying, we're in charge, so therefore, that's that. 
So they tended to kind of leave the, the truth question out. But here's the issue. This is a beautiful Japanese print of uh, a sea change. You see kind of Mount Fuji there in the back. And no matter what your philosophy of life is, your religion, your faith, your opinions, there is a fact, a historical fact, that with Jesus there was a massive sea change in the world's history. Huge effect. There's been nobody that's affected things as much as Jesus did. I don't care if you're a Muslim, Buddhist, agnostic, whatever. Folks, we, we work our calendar around Jesus' birth. A.D. is Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, going back to his birth. It doesn't mean after death, by the way. It's Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord, basically when they guessed his birthday was. And beforehand, it's B.C. before Christ. In Germany, when I studied there, it's for Christus nach Christus, V.C. and N.C. That's, we, folks, we have New Year's based on when Jesus was born. That's how big it was. It was such a massive sea change in civilization that because of this one person, we, we put our whole calendar around it. That being the case, a fact is that Jesus changed history. And what he did created something which changes the way we think. There's no way we would have the Constitution in the United States we have now if it wasn't for Jesus. There's no way we'd have democracy. There's no way we'd have literacy. There's so many things we wouldn't have the way we have them. We'd have something, but it would be really different. If Jesus had not been born, things would be really different right now. If we'd even survive as a species by now. It's hard to know. And so that being the case, we have to work from this fact. There is no way of getting around that truth, that Jesus was a big splash and a huge one. Here's the problem. You folks and I have seen courtroom dramas, and somebody goes up and swears the person in. What do they say? You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. People, everyone who does that lies because nobody knows the whole truth. You don't even know the whole truth about what you're testifying about. You would have to know every little detail about what was going on at that moment. And guess what? It's just your view of it. Who here has ever been in a car crash and heard different stories about the car crash depending on who was in it? You've got one perspective and one way of looking at things. And nobody ever knows the whole truth. We try to approach the whole truth. Now, if I were to get John back here, and I was have him stand right here in the middle of the church, I'm not going to do this to you, John. But if I said, go halfway to the wall, and you'd pace off halfway to the wall, then I'd say, John, go halfway to the wall again. You go halfway to the wall again. Say, John, go halfway to the wall again. You go halfway again. Would you ever get to the wall? No, we really we can approach the truth with our eyes and with our ears, but we never know the full thing, exactly what's going on, and we never know what other people are thinking. I, I find it crazy right now that on the news channels, both right and left, they seem to be able to read minds. What he really thought was this, or what he really thought was that. What he intended was this. What he Folks, I don't even know what I think sometimes, or why I think it. Who here occasionally is not totally clear on your motives. 
And yet we can read other people's minds and we thought, oh, it's obvious that this person was thinking this and that person was thinking that. Was, sure. OK, yeah, you, you think so. We can approach the truth, but we never know the whole truth. And this is why Jordan Peterson, just uh, the great philosopher from Canada right now, said, uh, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Approach the truth as best you can. Approach the wall as best you can. Get as close as you can. Keep working at it, even though we never know the whole truth. He says, but you can stop lying today. 100%. Because every time we lie or spin the truth, guess what happens? Your conscience goes ding, 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 ding. Little warning light on your dashboard. Unless you don't have a conscience. I think you probably do. But anytime we do that, there is a little warning light that comes on saying, say something else. Don't lie. Because approaching the truth is hard. It's hard work. And if you really want to go after the truth, you've got to be investigative. You really have to go after things. You've got to look for evidence. It's got to be important to you. It's easy to stop lying. Why do we lie? To get out of trouble. Studies have shown and if you want to listen to Dana Hansen's sermon on this, it's at uh, Lifehouse Church, one of our sister churches. It's fantastic. He goes into this whole thing. I won't, do, won't tell you the whole thing, but they did experiments on kids as to whether or not they lie. And these clinical experiments, one-third of, like, five-year-olds lie, and, like, 95% of fifth-graders lie if they get a chance, if it's to their advantage. And lying is not something kids are born with. It's something they learn because it turns out, statistically, kids can get away with lies about half the time. And so it's worth, it's worth doing it. And if you had siblings, you lied right away. Who broke the dishes? Not me. He did. You know, it, that's why you have siblings, to blame them, you know, blame other stuff on them. That's kind of how that works. And when you get married, it just you know, transfers to spouse. It, uh, it, if a tree falls in the woods, and there's no one there to hear it. Is it still the husband's fault? You know, that's that's the that's that's the question. So, you know, we we love to blame other people for stuff. I love to take the credit for Wendy's ideas and give her the blame for mistakes I make. That's you know one of the contracts that we've made in our in our marriage. So, a Valentine's contract. <laughs> Wendy's back there giving me the fing fing face. Ding 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 ding. And so blaming other people, you know, when things happen or getting out of trouble or when something goes terribly wrong. I remember the biggest lie I told growing up. Our high school youth group at our church went out to, uh, in, in Kellogg, Idaho, northern Idaho, nobody buys a Christmas tree. You go out in the woods and you get a Christmas tree because they're huge, they're beautiful, and they're free. And so the Luther League, the high school group went out and got this tree, and it was like 30 feet tall in the church and they decorated it on ladders and they had hot cider and they smiled at each other and they you know, went off to do whatever teenagers do afterwards. And it was this beautiful evening and it was all held up by a rope to a door on the other side of the door. It said, do not open. Well, I was running around the church with my friends because there's nothing to do in Kellogg, Idaho. So we were little kids. We're running around in there and there's this do not open. I dare you to open. I wonder what's there. I was like, my friend, I won't tell you who it was, but his initials are Rex Wegner. And he and I opened the door, and we opened the door. Guess what came down? The tree smashed everything. 
my dad was a pastor. He had a wedding that afternoon. Comes into the church and sees the tree on the ground. Did you open that door? Oh, no, I didn't open that door. No way was I taking credit for that. Can you imagine? I still feel guilty about it. Dad, if you're up there, I apologize. I'm sorry. I did it. I never came clean with you on that, but I'm getting it off my chest. But still, why did you tell lies growing up? To get out of trouble. And we get mad when other people do it. We expect other people to tell the truth. Well, we want them to. We want them to tell the truth. And if they don't tell the truth, it's really hard to get stuff done because it's it's difficult in a team to get stuff done. We all know that truth matters in a big way. But the older we get, the more we realize that truth is not as easy to find as we thought. For me, as I get older, truth becomes more important in my mind and harder to find sometimes. Because I start to understand there's different perspectives and there's a different way of looking at things. If you don't believe that, go live in a foreign country and speak a foreign language for a year. Wendy and I did that in 1988, 89. Was it 80, well, one of them years. And I might have just lied without meaning to, but it was 88, 89. And you go there, you realize things are nuanced. And you try to translate something into a different language, translate a song into a different language. Yeah, it's hard, really hard to do. And there's all these nuances of looking at things. And yet we sense in our spirit that God calls his church to be truth-telling people. There's a sense I get that we should be not just going after the truth, but telling the truth and speaking the truth into the situation. The definition of a prophet, by the way, is not somebody who tells the future. A prophet... In the Old Testament, a navi, a bubbler, somebody who bubbles up with the word of God, literally a bubbler, or the New Testament, profemi, one who speaks forth. God calls us to prophesy. And and, uh, the Apostle Paul says, go after all these spiritual gifts, but especially that you prophesy. You speak for God. Speak God's words out into the world because the the world needs truth, and we need to speak truth out there. And sometimes the truth has future implications. That's why people think of, of... prophets as fortune tellers, but they're not. They're people who speak the truth into the situation. Bill went to uh, a church yesterday and brought us a Bible study from there, and it's to the seven churches. And you have John there. He's not fortune telling in Revelation about the future. He's speaking to each one of these churches and saying, this is the truth about your situation, and you need to work on this. I don't really like it when people speak truth into my life that's not comfortable. But afterwards, I appreciate it because I want to operate on the truth. It can sting at first, but it's kind of good to do it. John 8, 31 through 32. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, my students. The word disciples should be students because the word in Greek is mathetes, from which we get the word mathematics. People learn stuff, learn facts. Mathetes uh, is a, disciple, a student, and Jesus was the rabbi. He was a teacher. He taught the truth. They learned the truth. If you are my students, if you're learning the truth, if you're going after that wall that we talked about with John Ellis, where you're halfway, you're getting closer, 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 closer. Who here 
learned something new this past year? Some anything. I'm learning a lot about how to wire up a 12 volt system in a trailer. Didn't know any of that stuff. Would you want to be the person before you were before you learned that? Probably not. People, if you think you know everything right now, who here doesn't want to learn anything else the rest of your life? Who here wants to know things even if it changes the way you think? Ever notice that people that are young in their minds are people who are teachable and continue to learn things, continue to go after things? That's my definition of youth. If you've got it all figured, I know some 25-year-olds who are old because they know it all. I know some 70-year-olds who are still looking for important new stuff. And they're young in their minds. So really, it has nothing to do with an age. We want to go after the truth. And we want to be Jesus' students. We want him to teach us. But when he said that, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's go back to that. If you abide my word, you're my students. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We want to know the truth because then we will be free. If we're believing something that's not true, then we are somehow in bondage to a lie. And that was not received well. People got really upset with Jesus when he said that. You can see why. I mean, probably called security on the guy. And then he responds, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Jesus was rather assertive, by the way. You are of your father, the devil, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, here's God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you know not God. You don't are not of God. So not only are we in a world where it's hard to find the truth, we're in a world where the devil is spreading lies. And he's the father of lies. And there's got to be lies out there because there's people saying opposite things. And there can only be one truth. And so some of this stuff is lies and we have to investigate it. Well, So how do you know? How do you know what the truth is? Well, here's how you do it. You go after what works the best. Here's what I mean. I haven't been to a barber for a while because uh, it's been COVID season and stuff. And for a lot of that time, the barber shop was closed. And I love to get haircuts in Oceanside because it's cheap. Because cheapest haircuts in the world are in Oceanside. Because that's where all the Marines get their haircut like every day. So it's, just, it's a wonderful place to do that. And... Uh, when I drive through Oceanside, I check out the barber, and they've been closed a lot lately. But if you wait for the head barber, now some of you women may not know about this, but in barber shops, the head barber is next to the door. And the farther down you go to the bathroom, the worse the haircut is. Because that person has seniority, and that person gets first pick of who comes in, by the way. And the people down at the end get the, you know, the pickings. And so you want to, it's worth the wait to wait for the person closer to the door. Here's how I discern truth. And if it works for you, do it. If I were an alien coming to this world and I were to look for the person who made the most sense of life on this planet, 
Jesus would be the head barber. Period. I mean, there is nobody in his or her teaching who explains what we're doing here and how we should best live than Jesus. Period. Just objectively speaking, there is no one even close. You look at the parables, you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you look at his ethics, you look at his teaching, you look at it the way he understood the spiritual world, you look at everything he says is just so cool. And there's nothing even close, folks. And I went to school way too long. I, I was almost 30 by the time I finished school. And I read all of the best stuff I could find, and nothing comes close to Jesus. Jesus, in my opinion, is the head barber. And I'm going to say something kind of crazy for a pastor, but if I found somebody, I'm not going to find that person. There's no way. If I found somebody who could explain truth better than Jesus, I would follow him or her. Because you want to follow the truth. But Jesus took the entire Bible at the time, which was the distillation of the spiritual coming of age of the human race, the whole Old Testament, and made sense of it in a way that affirms it and yet elevates it. Who can do that? Who's going to do that? It's not going to happen. You have to pick some barber in your life. As, uh, what's his name, Bob Dylan, saying, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. That's how that song goes. And you're going to follow somebody. Follow the one who gives you the best haircut. And I'm no example for that right now because my hair is a mess. But what is true? Who's going to answer questions like, what is true? What am I doing here? What gives my life meaning? What is my destiny? And when Jesus teaches, when I read his stuff in the Gospels, I feel the ring of truth. Like I don't see it anywhere else. So you have to pick some place from which to start for truth. And I start with Jesus. Because Jesus took all of that incredible tradition and made it into something that works. Deng Xiaoping, who was the leader of China, who brought them sort of into the free market world. And he was criticized for that because China was a poor communist country for most of my lifetime, and he changed that. And I said, well, how can you do that in a communist country? He says, which mousetraps are the best mousetraps? And they said, the ones who catch the most mice. He says, exactly. And if we let people design their own mousetraps, we're going to find that. And next thing you know, everything is made in China because of him. Whatever works the best. And people, what explains these questions? What is true? What am I doing here? What gives life meaning? What is my destiny better than Jesus? Good luck. Good luck. All the rest of the barbers are pretty close to the bathroom. And you're going to come out with a funny haircut. So look at what works the best. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he backed it up. Kind of backed it up by coming out of the grave, which is really cool. Was able to do all kinds of things. And, and backed it up with signs and wonders. When they dropped that guy through the roof for healing, which was a great story, by the way. This guy that was crippled. And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody mocked him. You're not the head barber. He says, watch this. I don't think Jesus drank beer, but he said, hold my beer. Watch this. You know, boom. And up comes this guy. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let me demonstrate. And nobody ever questioned his miracles. 
It's one thing to say things. It's another thing to back them up. For me, Jesus is clearly, clearly the head barber, and you have to choose a barber. And who remembers geometry class? And you ever notice it was the math teacher teaching geometry? And there's no numbers all of a sudden. And I said to myself, this isn't math. This is something different. And it is. I'm giving you something uh, to remember. Whenever you see Heil Street, that means salvation in German, by the way. And so whenever you see that, I want you to think about your salvation because Heil, you know, goes back and forth. Heil Avenue, I think it is. Look at that. You see that. Every time you see Euclid Street, I want you to think about this. Little triggers for you. Euclid Street. Who was Euclid? Euclid was the guy who wrote your geometry book. You studied Euclidean geometry. Abraham Lincoln didn't have a big library. Thomas Jefferson had a couple thousand books. Lincoln had five, and he read them over and over and over. The Bible, Blackstone's Law Commentary, Euclid's Geometry, and a couple of others. Euclid's Geometry is hard reading. And Abraham Lincoln was right up there with the most intellectual of all the presidents. If you don't believe that, look up the second inaugural address and read it. We don't have speeches like that from presidents anymore. Phenomenal. And you'll be in tears by the end of it. We have Euclid's geometry. Here's what, I'm, here's what I mean by picking a barber. Euclid dared the world. He said, come up with any thinking system, build any thinking skyscraper without faith statements. And you can't. He proved that you have to have five or six postulates, also called axioms, which are taken by faith. Like two points determine a line, things like that. There's no proof for any of those. There just aren't. There's no proof. And you build your worldview on those things. He says, I dare the world to come up with any thinking system that doesn't have five or six postulates, also called axioms. And he says, most of you operate with about 20, he said, at any given time. About 20 faith statements you take, which are unprovable, and then you build your... There's no such thing as a fact-based thinking system. Every thinking system has at least five or six postulates. More like 20 in real life. That being the case, the postulates you pick are really important. And why wouldn't you want to pick the postulate of Jesus being the head barber and seeing the world through the way he sees the world? Because if he did, people, we would have no poverty in this world. We would have no wars in this world. We would have a whole bunch of just amazing things. Can you imagine family life if everybody saw Jesus as the head barber? Can you imagine the world we live in? It'd be fantastic. And the church is a microcosm of that. We're supposed to be modeling the Jesus thing for the rest of the world so they can pick a better head barber. And evangelism is basically convincing other people that we've got a really good head barber. And we have to take that by faith. But it's not faith that's just a leap in the dark. It's faith that is based on a lot of good facts. It's based on the fact that this massive sea change happened when Jesus was born. And there's nothing else close to it. Why go for the barber close to the bathroom? It doesn't make any sense. 
and we want to share it. And Jesus believed that the Bible was true. So I believe that the Bible was true. People said, do you believe in a devil? Well, Jesus believed there was a devil, so I believe in a devil because Jesus is way smarter than me. If you choose Jesus as your head barber, it's going to bring you to all kinds of other truths. And those truths are going to work for you. In our extended family, we've got people who see Jesus as the head barber. We have a big extended family. And the people who see Jesus as the head barber are doing really, really well. Their lives are lives that kind of shine in their own way. And the people who don't are struggling. If you want proof of living a good life, and it doesn't mean being rich and famous. People, there's, there's people with very little money and very little success in life who see Jesus as the head barber who have wonderful lives. Why wouldn't you want that for your life? So some practicalities. How can we get closer to the truth? One is coming to worship. And I want to thank all of you outside and all of you inside for being here and all of you watching on YouTube and uh, Facebook. I left out Malaysia after Canada. Malaysia is our second biggest group of followers. And so greetings to all of you out there. Show up for worship. Not just the teaching, not just show up for worship. There's something about worship that resets our satellite dish. And I'm not very good at worship. It People say, why do you have to sing three songs in a row? Because it takes me three songs for my satellite dish to connect with God. I'm not all that spiritually sensitive, and it takes me a while to start to get into the here I am with God mode. Some of you just drop up a hat, you're there, and I, you know who you are. Some of us take a while. We need three or four songs to get there. But it's like that big satellite dish kind of, kind of tuning in. When my wife and I lived in Chimicum, Washington, where you couldn't order pizza, couldn't get garbage service, we're out in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's, yeah, it's out there. No cable. I put up the mother of all TV antennas. It was like 40 feet high above on this gigantic girder thing above our house, and it had ring, 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 this little thing you could turn to the side. And I would, I would turn it towards Seattle, turn it towards Tacoma, turn it towards Vancouver. And then the picture would come in. And that's what happens when we worship. We get aligned. And it's more than just music. It's actually getting into a mode of worship, opening up your hands, opening up your body, and not just singing nice, but being connected to God. And you can worship in your car, but do keep your hands on the wheel when you do so. That's worship. Number one. Two is study. If you are my students, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Learn, learn things. Continue to get closer to that wall. Continue to learn stuff. Get into the Word every day. Pastor Tamara has put together a fantastic Bible study for 2021. And people, it is not hard to follow. It's a few verses a day, but they're really good. And talk to other people about them and answer the questions. There's usually two or three questions there to work through, learn something different, memorize some Bible passages. The other one is loving the church. The church is the bride of Christ, according to the Bible. And that being the case, well, I believe in God, I don't need church. Yeah, you do. 
because church brings us together with other truth seekers. And we go after the truth together. Church attendance is half of what it was in the mid-90s. It's the biggest drop in church attendance in American history. Half of what it was throughout the country. Half of what it was in the mid-90s. And every church I know has been affected by that. Could it be that that drop in church attendance is right up there with why we have so much trouble with truth right now? We don't have people truth-seeking together and sitting at the feet of Jesus. I want to thank all of you for being here. It's countercultural to go to church during the pandemic, but thank you for being here. To love Jesus is to love the bride. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. And is the church perfect? No, it's not perfect. But every bride has a flaw, for goodness sake, but you don't, you know, you don't kick her out of her own wedding. I mean, for goodness sake. Look at that. The other one, invite other people. My favorite name for a church in the whole world, I've never even been to this church. I should go sometime. In Rotterdam, I've driven by it many times, the name of the church is Kom and Z, which is come and see. What a great name for a church. Come and see. Invite people to come and see. It's so easy. Now give people the link to our YouTube channel, for goodness sake. Come and see. Look at this. Here's the Bible reading schedule. Come and see. Come look at this. Come to church with us. Let's do this together. It's so easy to invite people to church nowadays. They don't even have to come the first time. They can just watch and go from there. Come and see. Inviting other people will bring you closer to the truth. And the number five is know what your target is. There's nothing to do with the store. But every time, I like to give people memory devices. Every time you see the word target out there or an advertisement for target, I want you to think about what our target is. And the target for Christians, the end point we're looking at, and this is so important, is not getting people to heaven. Heaven is a way station. You can have any end times view in the world, and we end up here on a renewed earth, looking up at a renewed heaven. The goal is renewal, restoration, and rebuilding. That's the goal. Is there struggle between now and then? Yeah, there is. Is there tribulation? Yeah, there is. Are some of us going to spend part of that time in heaven? Yeah, we will. But heaven is not your eternal home. Heaven is where we go to wait until the resurrection of the body when we can do our thing down here and get it done. End of Isaiah, end of Revelation. You don't believe me? Look at the book. That's where we end up, and we have to keep the end in mind. If you keep the end in mind, it keeps us on track. Your little travel thing you have, whether it's Waze or whatever, use Google Maps. If you don't give it the end destination, it's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to have a destination. The destination here is renewal, rebuilding, restoration. That is the theme for this year. And the last one is prayer. Prayer and asking God to speak to us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. It's not whether or not he'll speak to us. It's whether or not we will listen. I've said this a billion times. I know you're tired of hearing this, but God has more talk than we've got listen. Because I don't even hear from God. Yeah, this is you've got noise in your life all the time, and you never sit down. And when you pray, you just chatter. Who likes to be with someone who talks all the time? I mean, I like chatty people, but 
you know those people in, in Dutch, they call them a sprak waterfall, a, a speaking waterfall that comes at you, just, 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 just comes, this sprak waterfall. It's a sprak waterfall. It just comes at you like this gusher, and there's nothing, you, you can't even respond, and all the oxygen gets taken out of the room. And some of us pray like that. We just bombard God with all this stuff, and then we walk out and get a sandwich. I mean, there's no, there's no listening at all. Who thinks prayer should be at least half listening, at least for a balanced conversation? Well, I've got no experience hearing from God. Well, you probably don't listen to other people either. You probably just talk at people. And you probably aren't listening to their heart in the first place. If you become a better listener to people, you'll become a better listener to God. You don't become an instantly different person when you're praying. If you talk too much in this world, you'll talk too much with God. And you'll have trouble getting a word in edgewise. So think about that. And no, none of you hear Sprock Waterfalls, in case you wondered. Maybe it's those of you watching on TV could be, because you're talking through the whole thing. I don't know. The signposts of truth. Justice, love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and power. I just invite you to, uh, to pray with me, if you would. We're going to close up here. Lord... I just want to pray for everybody watching on Facebook, YouTube, throughout the world, whether they're listening today or later in the week or five years from now. Your truth won't change between now and then. I just want to give you thanks, Lord. Everything that's gone really well in my life, even if it's been painful, anything that's gone really well in my life has been because of following your son. And I just want to share that with everybody. Lord, if I was living in the time of Jesus, I would just love to sit and listen to your son talk. And because of his teaching, Lord, uh, I see people differently. This is Valentine's Day, Lord. I see my wife differently. We see the world differently, and the world is a different place because of your son. There's a sea change when he showed up. And that's a fact. That's not an opinion. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us the practical steps we need to come closer to the truth. Give me that too, Lord. My guess is there's a bunch of bad sectors in my thinking, Lord, that need changing this year. And I pray that you will give me the experiences and the people in my life to give me the wisdom to, to turn those things around. Because if there's things in my thinking that aren't lined up with your son, I don't want them. And I know that's going to be a process. And it could take some time. Learning takes time. But I pray for each person here, Lord, that... Uh, that we would leave here today confident that there is such a thing as capital T truth and that your son embodies that. And we pray, Lord, that, uh, that he would guide us into this world of spinning and lies and the father of lies all around us. So the next time we're tempted to lie, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us with a big flashing light on the dashboard. We can stop lying from this day forth. It's not that hard. We want to stop lying and we want to get closer to the truth. 
I give you thanks for everyone listening to me, Lord, because they're listening because they want truth in their lives. And I don't have that, Lord, but your son does. As I get closer to him, I pray that we all get closer to him, Lord, in our own way. I pray that each of us this week gets rid of at least one thing about that we th- we're thinking that just gets in the way because it isn't true. Probably all of us have false opinions or ideas about stuff. and I, I just want to drop those, Lord. So point them out to me and point them out to all of us. And be with us, Lord, as we, as we continue to follow your Son, which gives us so much joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. Bless you all. Have a wonderful time. And whether you love Valentine's Day or hate Valentine's Day, it's Valentine's Day. So uh, be nice to people who like it. And uh, have a wonderful rest of your week. And get into the Word with us every single day. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, do the come and see thing. Invite someone to join us here at the well in one way or another this week. And uh, we just wish you the very best. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you.